Good morning, everybody. This is the third week of our series on Unmasking Beauty, and I'm seeing some familiar faces. I'm seeing some faces for the first time. Uh, so, again, reviewing why we're doing this series, uh, and you'll hopefully be seeing we've hit a few of these over the last few weeks, and then you're going to hit a couple more. Especially today, art and, and artists are misunderstood, and we're going to be uh, tackling that. Um, and uh, here's the four-week outline, uh, but today we're going to be uh, talking about understanding the arts so that we can understand our neighbor. I'm going to pray, and then we will move into a brief review and some discussion. So uh, join me in prayer. Almighty God and Creator, we ask that you would help us to understand how we in this room, but how all of your people are made in your image today. We thank you that you've given us breath, that you've given us life, you, you help us wake up this morning. And this is a special morning that we can gather with your people in worship. But Father, we would offer ourselves in all that we do for the creative calling that you have uh, built into us as we image you in all that we do. Father, your son was also came as a human and uh, bore, bore God's image as well as being fully divine. Could we wonder that a little bit more? Maybe a lot. And the fact that he came uh, to know sinners uh, and to be known by sinners, uh, and that we could follow that example as well. We thank you for his sacrifice for us, new life that he gives. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So a review of last week. We started with the illustration about artificial intelligence. Everybody remember that? And can artificial intelligence be creative? Well, not, no, because... We build the artificial intelligence, so any creativity is just mirroring human creativity, uh, and that we're all created in God's image, and we're all called to create and be creative. And actually, we're going to be moving into the conversation about culture, where we left off last week. Uh, and we had some homework. Creativity in daily life was your homework. So for table discussion, if you were one who heard that homework and then reflected on creativity in your daily life, share with how, how you, what you did, how did you respond to that. But I expected that there were some of you who either forgot the homework, which is perfectly fine, or weren't here. So think about the last artwork or a recent artwork that was so significant that you had to go tell someone about it. And think about why you had to go tell them and what, what, what it is that you were sharing about yourself. Or maybe you remember that someone recently told you about something that was significant to them and what did you learn about them. So we're going to take about five minutes and discuss around your table. Last week, we, took, we, we started to talk about trying to define culture. Uh, I made a little bit of a joke uh, about we've been doing this series on culture and Christianity, but uh, no one thought we'd talk about what culture actually is. So not that there's any fault in that, but we, there's some assumptions, right? We, we say a word and we assume. Well, if you go online and you get the de- definition for culture, we get a broad term, and this is definitely what we've been considering that it's the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Uh, And you live in a place like Atlanta, we've got a lot of cultures. Uh, It's not just American culture or Southern or Georgia. There's a lot of layers there. But then culture in a more specific sense, the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. Up till through last week, we were really kind of hanging out in this first definition because it includes this, but this week we're moving more into this. But I would say that if we think more about this area, 
we'll start to think more holistically in this area too. So last week I gave you a partial quote from William Edgar. Highly recommend getting his book, Created and Creating. And he gives kind of the thesis definition of his book. Um, Cultural engagement is the human response to the divine call to enjoy and develop the world that God has generously given to his image bearers. I'm going to skip to the next slide because this is where we're going to live a little bit more. Cultural activity occurs in a historical setting and is meant to improve the human condition. But because of the fall, culture can and has become sinister. Christ's redeeming grace moves culture in the right direction, ennobles it, and allows it to extend the realm of God's shalom, his goodness, his justice, his love. So cultural activity is meant to improve human condition. All right, well, we we, we left off last week uh, in Genesis 1. How about we move ahead in Genesis well, in Genesis 2, what does Adam do for culture and creativity? What happens? Names the animals. God could have named the animals, but he invited him into doing that. But then good old Cain, what happened with Cain? Cain actually was the first city builder. And cities are not inherently evil because you look at Revelation and what is it? It's a city. His descendants then, do you know what, uh, I think it's Jabel? What, what, what came out of uh, Jabel's line? Uh, animal breeding, uh, and then the tubal cane was metalwork. Those are his descendants. All right, Ham's descendants. So after Noah, one of his sons, good old Ham, what do we get from Ham? Yes, Tower of Babel. Uh, this is a, a wonderful uh, piece of art right here uh, by Peter Bruegel the Elder, not to be confused with the younger uh, in 1563. And he image this off of the Roman Colosseum. And if you get really close and like do a nice thing, you can see how kind of there's, it's being put together. It's falling apart in some places, but uh, it's a commentary. The the Tower of Babel was a a subject in the 1500s by a number of artists um, reflecting on how Babylon kind of carried forth into their own era and not necessarily in a positive way. Jump ahead to Exodus. We get good old Bezalel. What did Bezalel do? What was he called to do? The tabernacle. And then Aaron, what does he do in the very next chapter? The golden calf. And even thinking about the fact that, so he says, these are your gods. And the golden calf. And actually, it, what commentators will say is that he's both saying, Yahweh is your God, but also this Egyptian God is your God. So he was taking... Trying, trying to like balance cultures here, saying, you guys want to go back to Egypt, so here's part of Egypt back with you, so you can worship, uh, and there's idolatry involved. So the arts have been good, the arts have been not so good, but culture, culture has carried on and, and has redeemed a number of these things. Um, obviously, music, animal breeding, metalwork, cities, these are all things that we need, benefited from. So how do we as Christians today fit into this? Well, First off, we need to engage in cultural activity ourselves. You go out and you work, you are engaged with culture, whether you are in a profession that is shaping the culture itself or you are in relationship with people who are doing that. Uh, You are executing in whatever uh, work that you're doing is being a part of the cultural activity, if you take that broad definition that we got from Bill Edgar. I also encourage you to engage with culture makers. 
so that you can understand where they're coming from, what, where things are going. Um, this can be getting to know a computer programmer or um, getting to know scientists, people that perhaps are outside of your field and understanding, but something that you can understand um, how they see their work playing into the work of culture. But specifically, and the, the goal of today for the arts is to uh, engage with makers, but also to engage with partakers. I could have said consumers, right? I could have said makers and consumers. But by saying partaker rather than consumer, I would hope to engender that there is a particip- participatory element rather than just sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, and consuming potato chips. That there's actually, we're invited to a, a, a meal with others um, that we can partake in that meal together. All right, so there's some challenges to engagement with, with artists. How are, how are artists generally viewed? I don't want to, like, sweeping broad stereotypes, but if you, like, how, if either you are an artist or uh, you've known artists, how are they generally viewed in uh, the culture? You can shout out descriptions. Eccentric slackers, okay. YouTubers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Elite, yes. I think it kind of depends on what culture you are in, also. Like in Silicon Valley, I would probably never said I was an artist. Yeah. I had friends that were artists, but I wasn't. But here, it's easy to tell people that's what I spend a lot of time doing. So I think it's artistic. Right. Yeah, it depends on where you. Yeah, it depends on where, what culture you're in, on how artists are. Um, perceived, whether it's slackers or elite, or as uh, people that are bringing beauty into the world. Um, How do you think artists view themselves? Unappreciated? Okay. Yeah. View themselves as misunderstood. Good. Uh, Unwanted. Unwanted. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, they see themselves as elite, perhaps, yeah. Unique. Okay. So Mako Fujimura uses a term um, called border stalkers. And what he means by that is that um, artists, they, they can cross tribal norms to see the whole and to navigate in between the walls erected to protect the tribes. So border stalkers, kind of as an an element of being on the fringe and being okay about being on the fringe as in many ways observing society. Uh, Many times an artist's identity comes comes from their story of who they are, and many, many times that comes from some degree of woundedness. So when we are speaking of and, and with artists, need to consider that there is some woundedness, not necessarily around their art, Though that very likely is, we've talked about that artists feel unwanted many times. Um, but uh, that we, we need, to, and, and need to listen for their story uh, and hear what brings them to want to do their art and express the way they do. So how do churches misunderstand artists in a more specific way? Yeah. 
So is that more of a, um, a narrow view that is what's acceptable? What is it? What's acceptable in the church or what's acceptable in the world? Might be. is because of the church. Yeah, very much so. Up, in, up through the Reformation, even into the Renaissance, the church was a large patron. And that's changed. So it's not just in the church that, yeah, that the usefulness of art. Um, so I've got a, a, you guys are touching on a lot of the things. Um, I think we're quick to critique before we try to understand um, that if I don't understand it or it isn't useful to the church, then I try to avoid it. Uh, many times the arts are seen as dangerous, either that because of, say, the personal morality of an, of an artist uh, might be seen as uh, tending to be against what we might say is a certain moral ethic, um, or as well subject matter, that certain content is deemed as sinful and untouchable uh, by the church. Many times as well, art is seen from a utilitarian perspective, that only certain types of art, music, writing, some degree of visual art is useful to churches, but then specifically that they serve a function and only a function within the church. Uh, we can say that your, your artwork is nice, can we just use it on the bulletin cover rather than adorning our walls uh, and shaping, shaping us more. In thinking about this, it makes me come to another conclusion too. The churches tend to be difficult places for people on the fringes, not just artists. And I think that that's just by nature that churches have a specific culture. We have a culture, and if someone doesn't fit that culture, it starts to, there's friction. And it's easier to not do friction, right? So I would hope that as we consider in next week in ways of being hospitable, welcoming to artists, that that would be in turn a way that we could think, how, how can we do the same thing, not just for artists, um, but for all who maybe are on the fringes. So how can we change this? You know, I don't want this to all be doom and gloom uh, about where things are not good. So here's, here's my shot at a definition. We can change this by intentionally developing habits of humility, empathy, and compassion in regard to artists and the arts. I could have just said humility and empathy, 
But in my reading about empathy and another uh, a number of things, compassion is actually the acting out of empathy. Um, sometimes inherently when we say empathy, we do mean a, 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 a reaching out and being engaged with someone, but actually compassion is, is, is a, a clearer term for that. Um, so we've done a lot of pointing towards talking about art. How about we talk about arts and we can talk about that. So these are, I think, three hopefully helpful images for ways that you can need to approach art. Uh, and we'll unpack these one by one. Um, art as a mirror, art as a window, and art as a bridge. So art as a mirror is it exposes our own idols, calling us to repentance. It's actually a mirror to us. It can be us as individuals. That can be us as a society. It can be us as a church. And actually calls us to confess. Um, arts as a window. We look into the experience of an artist to better understand them. But it then also in turn helps us to understand someone that might feel that they share that perspective. If someone really loves a piece of art because it really speaks to them, they're giving you a window into who they are. And finally, art as a bridge, uh, finding commonality with others by shared experiences with art. All right, so we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Uh, Ar- the Arnolfini Portrait by Jan van Eyck. Anybody familiar with this piece? Very beautiful, very rich with symbolism. Could take the whole hour to tell you about this. But the thing that I want to point out is this mirror, right? Here's a detail of it. You can see the artist. You see this red hat? That's the artist. And then he has someone with him as well. So he's acknowledging that there are observers to what is going on into the bigger painting. So art is a mirror. In, in movies, in TV, whenever you see an actor or character looking in a mirror, are they just checking out their makeup or you know, trying to make sure that their hair is in the right place? When a filmmaker puts their character in front of a mirror, they're telling you that this person is like, there's some inner turmoil going on. They're looking deep into their own souls, uh, into their own brokenness, um, whatever psychological damage and it's not about appearance in the mirror, but actually what can't be seen. A book that I recommended previously, and I'm going to recommend it again, Redeeming Vision by um, Elisa Weick wrote. And she says, and this is where I got this idea of a mirror. Uh, I can't take credit for, uh, for that one. Uh, she says that we need to ask, how does this artwork prompt us to examine who we are and what we actually worship? We need to respond, not with critique, but confession of our own idols or self-supremacy and self-sufficiency. A wonderful film, Babette's Feast, um, from 1987, uh, tells the story of um, an austere Christian sect and their um, maid who comes from France who then comes into some money and she makes them the most extravagant feast that they have ever had. And it's a beautiful metaphor of how we have trouble enjoying God's mercy. I did a a film discussion um, of this, and one of the responses was, that's just way too extravagant. And I I think that, and what it said to me was that, like, this person, like, kind of got the fact that, like, she doesn't, like, uh, doesn't get God's mercy, the extravagance of that. Um, 
And I think it spoke uh, both to her, but also to me to realize that we, we, don't, we don't see that, um, that, uh, that God's mercy is such an amazing thing that we don't dwell on how amazing that grace is. All right, art as a window. Uh, Vermeer is a favorite of mine, perhaps is a favorite of yours, but there's not very many of his works. And most of them, well, actually all of them, and what is really the beauty of the work is always has this natural light coming in from uh, the left of the frame into the right. And we get these windows into the inner lives of all of these different men and women. Um, this one up here, she's just received a love letter. Um, this one is counting coins. This one's trying on jewelry. You see maps. You see uh, stained glass. And then uh, made with the milk jug, a uh, simple life. So art as a window. A favorite uh, graphic novel of recent years uh, for me, and has been um, actually very. It's been used in a lot of school curriculums. It's called American Born Chinese. There's actually a new Disney Plus TV show that I would say is based on the graphic novel. If you're watching that, I, it, it's it's very good. Uh, it has it stays true to the spirit, but the graphic novel definitely does something a bit different and a bit imaginatively. Uh, it's written by Jean Luen Yang, and it is a story of a teen coming to grips with his Asian heritage, but then the American culture that he wants to embrace. And I don't want to spoil it, um, but it's there's it's very deep spiritually, and you don't expect it at first. What's beautiful about graphic novels is there's frames; everything is framed. And gives us windows um, in, into, into the lives of, you know, I did not grow up as a Chinese immigrant. I didn't go through high school trying to grapple with these things. But it, it's a deep experience of, of, of seeing what racism, how racism is experienced towards individuals and how easily it can slip in. All of these things that I'm sharing today, I'm, I'm recommending that you check them out. Uh, you can get this from the library. And I have a distinct memory of sitting on uh, a train on the ride home from uh, work one day and like being moved to visible tears in a car and trying to hide them because the person sitting across from me could probably see what I was reading a comic book. <laughs> um, but it's opened my eyes to the power of this as an art form. So seek it out. Gene Luen Yang has written a lot of other wonderful works, but this is his most famous one. Um, and then finally, Art as a Bridge. Um, you might be familiar with Claude Monet's work of uh, paintings from his, his pond. How is, how is Art as a Bridge? This is a little bit different, right? Because so the mirror, it, it holds up something to us, and we see we have a window. We can see into someone else's life. Um, art as a Bridge, we have to be in engaged with others for that to happen. So that's as simple as making art together. That can be taking a pottery class. It can be being in some sort of a music ensemble. Actually, every Sunday we're, we make art together, right? You know, taking dance, even uh, visiting art galleries, um, visiting uh, other installations, and doing that with people. Um, but I also think another way uh, art is a bridge is um, discussion groups. I know a lot of people have book clubs. 
if uh, you are ones that like films, you might have uh, film discussions. And this is a great way to bridge into um, the thoughts of others around um, specific pieces of art. And this is moving that, we have that spectrum of moving from humility to empathy to compassion. And, and the bridge is helping us. So empathy is what comes out of that wind, of art as a window. We empathize with the person uh, who either has created the art or who's experiencing the art in a deep way. Or we might see that the artist empathizes with us, which is another um, piece of that. But, that. but we're building bridges so that we can actually move in compassion and meet people in their needs uh, and, and brokenness. So um, I was skirting around for examples of this, but there's um, a wonderful documentary, won uh, Oscar for um, Best Long Form Documentary, Born into Brothels. Um, Zana Brisky is a photographer who moved to Calcutta to document um, the um, sex trade that is just a part of their world there. And through photographing and being invited into these very closed-off mini-cultures, she got to know the children of the women who work there and see how they really don't have anywhere out of this life. Many of the, the girls end up staying and working the jobs that their mothers and grandmothers did. The sons just are a part of that inner society as well. But what did she do? Well, she did the one thing she could do. She gave them cameras. She taught them art as a way of seeing beauty outside of what their immediate surroundings was. Some of them went on to actually leave. Like they um, were, at least one of them won a number of artistic prizes and was able to get scholarships to move elsewhere. She was building a bridge by creating art and actually helping improve the, whole, the human condition. This goes back to our quote here from William Edgar. It's meant to improve the human condition, cultural engagement. But I didn't highlight this earlier, but it, that it moves culture in the right direction. So how do we move direction, culture in the right direction? Well, first of all, it's actually, it's, it's in that quote, Christ's redeeming grace is what's going to help do that. And it's, and it's the people that have been redeemed by his grace that can do that. And we have this spectrum that I shared, hum, humility, empathy, and compassion. And I think the best way to do that, too, is to develop your toolbox, understand art, and learn about it from others. And that's going to be one of those first steps. If you don't know how to do the humility, empathy, compassion walk, start learning about art. Find something that you don't understand and find someone who do, does understand it and get to know them and get to know about the artwork. And uh, I think that you'll start to go on that path. So you have homework for this week. Mirror, window, bridge. Take your pick and be ready to discuss it at your table next week. Um, I have a couple of books I recommended previously and a couple of new ones. Um, Francis Schaeffer, Art in the Bible, is a seminal work, very short, like pocket-sized, um, a great one that just talks about all of the different art that shows up in the Bible. Um, Jeffrey Overstreet uh, is a friend of mine who's a film critic and uh, professor um, in Seattle, uh, wrote a book a number of years ago called Through a Screen Darkly. It's wonderful about his coming to understand 
uh, a lot about uh, the film uh, world and just a lot of great examples. And then as well, I mentioned Elisa Weick wrote Redeeming Vision, and then Russ Ramsey, Rembrandt is in the Wind. Um, his work of, um, essentially, it's a devotional work, but each chapter looks at a specific art, artist and a specific artwork in that artist's life. But then he, it's really a, a beautiful um, what he comes up with through his research uh, and draws us into thinking about that. So I would love to give you time for questions, but we're out of time. So um, I have to press on because um, I, ha- I mentioned that we have a video. In preparing for this series, I realized that I myself couldn't say everything. Um, it could be very easy for me to stay up here and keep blowing hot air out. But I wanted to bring in other voices. And we had that opportunity. Last couple of weeks, we had Suzanne. We had Jane. We had artists within our midst. But I also wanted to hear from some folks that are outside of our context. Some of us know them. Um, so this week, I met with Tim Mills via Zoom. Tim is uh, our global partner uh, with his uh, wife, Rihanna, in Thailand. And uh, he serves there. And he is both an artist and working in ministry, and hopefully you'll hear a bit of kind of un- unpacking how he thinks through these pieces. Well, hey, Tim, um, thank you for joining us today for this conversation uh, that's part of our series on uh, the arts and creativity. Uh, and as we start, uh, for those who are listening who don't know you, could you introduce yourself, tell us a bit about uh, what you do, and also how you're connected to InTown? Absolutely. Yeah, good to be here and be uh, before you all today and get to be a part of this. Thanks, Luke, for setting this up. So my wife, uh, Rihanna, and I were involved with InTown from about 99 to 2006 when we moved to Thailand, moved to Bangkok. Uh, So we're actually working with an urban church planting team that's part of Mission to the World. And our involvement with InTown early on, we were married in 99, right at the beginning of the year, January. And then I think just a couple weeks after, began attending uh, InTown and joined soon thereafter. And uh, so, yeah, we've been connected to InTown uh, all these years, of course. We moved to Thailand in 2006. While we were at InTown early on, um, All Souls Fellowship was, was in the works. We were really drawn to that. I think we were learning more about urban church planting, and we were really excited about that. We came on an in-town journey to Bangkok in 2001, July, and with a group of about 10 from the church, and we got to see that happening in a global context, and we were drawn to that. So uh, years later, you know, our daughter was born in 2003, and it took a, a lot of time for training and partnership, you know, fundraising and whatnot, preparation to actually move here in 2006. Cool. So what, um, what was your background, uh, that like has fed into your work now? So I, uh, both Rihanna and I attended Berry college up in Rome, Georgia, and I studied fine art there, have a, um, BFA and primarily focused on ceramics. Uh, thankfully my, you know, my visual arts minor, um, was really what was marketable in a sense. I didn't come out of, of college as a, a studio artist. Uh, didn't pursue that right away. 
But I worked as a, a graphic designer, so uh, Rihanna studied social work and then was getting her master's at, at the Mercer campus in Atlanta in early childhood education. And uh, she taught at in-town school for about three years. So that's, that's my background, uh, design, working for an engineering firm in Atlanta. Rihanna was teaching it in town, and then we, and then we moved here, and the story continues. So um, how does, uh, you know, this, this background you have in ceramics, how does that allow you to, to enter into the lives of, uh, of people that might not otherwise you have a chance to uh, have relationships with? Right, Yeah. So, you know, all of us, uh, if we think about kind of, we have, we have our passions, we have our, our professions, sometimes those have some overlap, um, sometimes a lot of overlap, which can be really encouraging. And uh, when I think about, you know, my work as an artist, first of all, as an artist, I think um, if you just take that piece of it, you know, for those of us that are working with materials that God has created and, and sort of helping, um, helping us to kind of understand more of what God has made and, and what God has done and is doing and as we create and make and express, right? And then also looking and listening to and learning from uh, those who are doing that very same thing around us, right? And that's true of any culture. Now, for me, for us living in Thailand, we've been here 17 years now, and it's the longest I've lived any one place. My father was in the military. I grew up moving around. But there's no doubt that Thai culture and has taught me a lot. And what has been a wonderful teacher are are the arts. And, um, you know, ancient, both ancient and then also modern. Now, a lot of Thai art, um, not so much the contemporary, but but is centered around uh, the major faith here, which is which is Buddhism. And so one way that I've been able to understand and enter into deeper conversations about the Buddhist faith is through, uh, through the arts and through the artists and, and by the work that they're creating. That has both helped me learn. It's also helped me understand some of the bigger questions that young contemporary ties are asking today. So the arts for me have been a place for expression. They've also been a place to help me understand and learn more about the culture in which we're living. Is there uh, a specific uh, story that you uh, have that you could share with us about your time there? A number of years ago, I was at one of the major museums in the city, and there was an installation that had uh, small images of Buddha, probably about an inch tall, and they were seated in rows. There were hundreds of them, you know, and they were actually um, positioned in front of a large computer monitor. And this computer monitor was actually cycling through images of advertisements, you know, sale and, you know, buy this and 50% off and just sort of, you know, ongoing, this, this looping video cycle. Uh, and then it was also being projected up on the wall. And I read the artist's statement about the piece, and it was a Thai artist, a Thai artist that was, um, you know, had created this installation. And the, the title of the piece was Materialism. And I thought it was interesting. And, uh, you know, he, he as an artist was making some observations about his his own culture and his people and, and even using um, this religious imagery uh, of, of Buddha, right? And, and then so it was fascinating because in his artist statement, he said this, and this line um, stayed with me. And I, you know, I, I remembered it. Uh, and, and remember it now. And it said, he said, no longer are we known 
for who we are, but for what we have. And that little statement was just, it was very telling, right? It was, it was sort of getting to the deeper heart questions about what, what is our identity and what gives us value? Does life have meaning? You know, all of these questions. And so an excellent entry point, if you will, into meaningful conversation and even self-reflection, right? Like, what is, what is the meaning of life? And, you know, we gather all of these things, right? All the dust that gathered around me still mocked my soul's sad cry, right? And, you know, these longings that we have. And of course, Buddhism is about attachment and longing and desire and uh, separating oneself from those things, right? Reaching this state of non-existence to where we are free of suffering because life is suffering. And so that experience, now I, I experienced that on my own in a, in a gallery setting, but it, 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 it was, you know, the, the question of like, have I seen God at work? Well, that was God showing me about the, 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 the cry of a, you know, of a, of an artist um, looking at his own um, cultural faith, looking at maybe I, I, I never I didn't meet him. I don't know kind of where he arrived at things, but it helped me understand that, yeah, the questions like the deeper questions of the human heart are the same the world over. Um, we might have different, you know, answers that we're using to assuage those those deeper desires or try to satisfy those desires, if you will. Um, and then just, you know, more recently, I think one of the things I'm encouraged by is just, I really want to champion and support and advocate for local artists. Um, it's been as simple as things like when I'm traveling back in the U S asking them, Hey, what tools do you need? Uh, what can I bring you? Um, I'm, I'm, I love giving people things. So I'm always like taking, you know, stuff to people and, you know, and that, and that's a cultural value here as well. When you when you visit someone, but you know, one of my friends has a, has a, a small studio and her business model is that she teaches classes. Well, she doesn't do wheel throwing. She mostly does hand building. So I go in and I teach a wheel throwing class, you know, ever so often. And it's just a way for me to really support what she's doing and to help her and to help build up her business. And, um, and I think that, you know, we have a, a wonderful friendship and I'm really thankful for her. And we've had some, we've had some good conversations around that, um, or out of that friendship. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. And um, I yeah, look forward to seeing where all of those things go. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything um, that, uh, the, that your church specific that they're doing in trying to connect artists? Or are you seeing artists come through your doors? And how are they being received? It's a, it's a wonderful church. It's it's bilingual. Primarily, we worship in Thai, but we we have many English speakers as well. And so a lot of the urban ties are bilingual. They've studied abroad or, you know, um, and so one thing we're doing is uh, in, in terms of worship and, um, and, and within the musical realm of worship is creating, trying to create and make some new uh, music sort of from, from our own community. And we, we have a, we have some wonderful musicians that have come in, into our little church body. And so, one of my tasks is uh, trying to harness a lot of the great creativity that we have, and um, and kind of move us on and and, uh, and and see some neat things come out of that. So we've I have seen some of some of my creative friends come in and around our church community. A lot of times, I feel like my role is to be a catalyst in relationship. If I can get Thai 
believers around my artist friends, you know, so I usually kind of go out into the community kind of on their turf, if you will, and with, with people. So recently I, um, met with, um, an owner of a design company that does surface treatments on walls. So if you walk into a really nice commercial space, uh, even residential, but, um, they do these amazing, you know, surface treatments and, you know, he's, he's a, an amazing designer and, but I had him over for lunch. He came over to my studio one time and we were hanging out and I invited, um, Jonathan, actually Jonathan Pregg, who teaches art here. And I wanted to, I wanted them to meet. And I was, I had asked my friend, you know, it'd be great if, if Jonathan could bring some of his high school 2d, 3d art students to see what you're doing and for them to be able to realize that there's a, market out there for design and you know opportunities in the future so even things like that just connecting people i see that as a, a major part of what i do um, within our church we've tried you know we've we've tried to think about um the space that we gather in well, we've tried to create this space which is in an office building we've tried to make it really you know set aside as a as a sacred space so we've done some um some subtle but like painting um on the walls we've um we have some you know different imagery we've used i've done some ceramic ware for that we use for communion and um even the even the small um communion vessels that we use individually i've cast um hundreds of small porcelain um communion vessels so for we do that for in town i need to get started i gotta do a couple thousand right so but just little things like that that can help us i think um like in the communion example just for us to think maybe a little more deeply as as we commune together um yeah we're using the fine china you know and uh we're at the the feast of the king and so uh yeah we we designed our our table um that has the podium sort of built into it and it's the table has two surfaces and both of the uh, sacraments are represented on each with um you know the baptismal font which is a, a large ceramic bowl and then a plate and large chalice um representing communion we do use those for communion and then we've got the porcelain cups and things too but the the table itself is is uh it's two surfaces, and there's this there's this gap between, and really just thinking about how um, you know the the temple veil was was rent open, right, and um, and that was brought about by God, like the the work of God, and you see all these partings in of God moving open the Red Sea, parting the Jordan River so that the people could enter the Promised Land, and yeah, in the death of Christ, right, the the Holy of Holies being torn open and ripped open, opened in so that we may come in, opened up that we may come in. And so the table, um, even though it's, it's stayed, it's hardwood and, you know, wrought iron. Those are some of the elements that we've done within the, within the, um, space that we gather to worship in. But of course the real artwork is the people that God has brought together from, uh, really, not every not every continent, but close, <laughs> and uh, just a really wonderful, vibrant community. So we're grateful for that. Well, Tim, I, I'm really excited to hear uh, about the ways that you, the way that God has made you as a person aware of your creativity. Uh, we talked about how you know all of us are created in God's image. We all 
have yes. creativity as a part of that calling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you are working to draw that out uh, within your community, both outside of the church, but also inside. I, I love love hearing your insights, uh, and I'm very excited about the work there. Um, so unfortunately, we have to come to a close. I yeah, really appreciate your time uh, today and look forward to hearing some more from you in the future. I really appreciate yes, it. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, we're grateful for in town and and the ongoing journey, you know, of um I, I used to tell people, you know, we're we're still a part of in town. We're just our community group's a little bit further away, you know. So <laughs> but we're we're grateful and uh remain so and uh thanks for setting this up. It was good to get the talk. All right. Well hopefully that was um enlightening. I it was great. I, I obviously had a much longer conversation with Tim and got to know him better and um, would love to go and visit his church at some point and see um, what they're doing there. So uh, thank you for being here, and hopefully you can make it for next week. And go and find a mirror, find a window, find a bridge. You can find all of them, but just you know, take, try to do one uh, and uh, be ready to talk about it next week. So all right, go in peace.